So in a few moments, uh, Lauren's going to bring us the word from Mark 14. So if you want to turn there now in your Bible, I'll read it. Um, Lauren's just getting taken set up with his Sunday school class, so we'll need a few minutes. <coughs> so we're going to be reading from Mark 14, verses 42 to 52. That's Mark 14, 42 to 52. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Just as he was speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, appeared. With him was a crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the elders. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him and lead him away under guard. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Rabbi, and kissed him. The men seized Jesus and arrested him. Then one of those standing near drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. I am leading a rebellion. Am I leading a rebellion, said Jesus, that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I was teaching with you in the temple courts, and you did not arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then everyone deserted him and fled. A young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind. <laughs> oh, here he is. Look Thanks, at Paul. It's nice to have stand-ins every once in a while, eh? <laughs> You probably didn't even notice it was Paul up here, did you? <laughs> we look so much alike, sound so much alike, like twins. <laughs> um, this is a, uh, this is an important passage in understanding the the purpose of Mark's whole gospel. You, you may have remembered, if you were here when we first started into this gospel, we talked about, we talked about how one of the, one of the things that, Paul, that Mark is trying to accomplish here is, is to challenge us as listeners, as his audience. How are you going to respond to Jesus. We talked about how throughout the gospel we were going to encounter different characters, different individuals, and, 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 I, and I wanted you to, to take note of who was responding in faith to the message of Jesus and who wasn't. And as we went through and looked chapter and verse all the way through, we have time and time again seen that those ones who should have faith don't they fail and fall on their face uh, the the religious elite the leaders of the community who had studied all of their lives the the scriptures the prophecies about the coming messiah 
They were the ones that recognized when, when Jesus healed the, the, the man who was paralyzed and proclaimed that his sins were forgiven. <laughs> and they recognized that only God can forgive sins. And then Jesus established his deity by healing the man. And what did they do? They all praised God. They recognized who Jesus was. They recognized that he was the divine son of man, the one that had been prophesied throughout the Old Testament, that, that was promised to come and save us from our sins. They recognized him. And yet then through the rest of the story, because, uh, because of the hardness of their hearts, there's all kinds of excuses that are given for the religious leaders, that, that Jesus was stirring up the, the society, that, that, that he wasn't conforming to their expectations, that, uh, that he was, playing, he, he was uh, trampling on the traditions and all those kinds of things. Uh, they were concerned about how the Roman Empire would see this new kingdom coming up and so that they were all those might have a part of it but ultimately they refused to acknowledge Jesus because they didn't want to surrender because of the hardness of their heart just like so many other people that you know and I know even though they might know the truth Say, I don't want any part of that because it takes away my control. I want to be the one that, that decides for myself how my life will be, what is good, what is evil. And so they didn't. They, all of these ones that should have had faith didn't. The disciples... The guys who were with Jesus day in, day out, saw all of the miraculous things that he did, heard all of the teaching that Jesus proclaimed. And yet time and time again, they fall on their face. They don't have faith. Jesus <laughs> calls them, O ye of little faith. All those that we would expect to have faith don't. And yet those who have no reason to put their faith in Jesus, time and time again, those were the ones that gladly surrendered, that came to him with such pure emotion, with pure motives, with, with the desire and recognition of their own sinfulness and their absolute dependence on God to intervene on their behalf and come to him in humility and in, um, and in surrender. To him. And so as we've looked at that, there's been this challenge for us, right? How are we going to respond to the claims of Christ? How, 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 are, how is the soil of our heart? Do you remember that parable? The parable of the soils, the, that all those different soils were the seed, the word of God was spread. So many of them as they had that gospel message proclaimed to them, because of all different kinds of circumstances, ultimately because of their unwillingness, there was no fruit, there was no growth, there was no, uh, no, no development of, of faith into something that was saving for them. 
For some of them it was uh, the, the lure of the world around them, right? The, the weeds that would choke out that life that was, that was there. There, the, there were others that, that, that the, the, the hardship of life, the trials and the persecutions, the, the difficult things didn't allow them. They had, didn't have roots down deep. And so when those trials came, they withered and died. There was no faith there. It was only those that had been prepared, their soil of their heart had been prepared by uh, the Spirit that were ready to receive that, uh, that seed into their lives. And, and this passage is, is moving us there. It's continuing to, to bring us to a place of challenge of how will you respond to Jesus? How will you respond in, in times of challenge, in times of persecution, in times of, uh, of trial? Will you respond in faith? Like Jesus, in, in surrender to the will of the Father no matter what? To stand firm on what is true? Or are you going to be like the disciples who blustered? You remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about their bluster of saying, even if everybody else falls away, I will never fall away. I'm, I'm willing to die for you. That was just a few short hours ago. And now here they are, fleeing. That uh, verse 50, and they all left him and fled. In the, in the Greek, one of the nice things about Greek is, is the word order is not so significant for grammar. You can, you can move the words around to try and emphasize different things. And so it, that sentence in Greek would be more accurate or literally word for word translated, then left him fleeing all. Mark wanted to let everybody know. There wasn't anybody left. There wasn't any stragglers that kind of stuck around. They all fled. They left him all. And the challenge is, how will you respond to Jesus in times of trial? When things are hard, when, when persecution challenges and, and takes you, uh, threatens to take you out. One of the hints that we have that this is a significant passage is, is a word that we've looked at uh, time and again here throughout um, uh, through the Gospel of Mark. It starts the very first, uh, it's the first, almost the first word of, cha of verse 43 there. And immediately. It also shows up again um, in verse 45, talking about Judas. And when he came, he went up to him at once. Same word, euthius. Euthius is, is this word that often is translated immediately. But you remember when we looked at the very first chapter of Mark. Let's just go back to that. Keep your finger in Mark 14. But let's just go back to Mark chapter 1. The, the prophecy about John the Baptist that comes from the prophet Isaiah. Mark chapter 1 and... And we might as well read the whole of, of uh, the prophecy, verse 2. As it is written in 
Isaiah the prophet. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths euthious. Make his paths straight. It's the same word that is used here. Making his paths straight is the same word that we have seen time and again, euthys, that is often translated immediately. And that's the proper translation, but maybe a more accurate translation would be straight away. And we see that, that right here in Mark chapter 1 that that this word starts having significant impact on, on, what, um, on what Mark wants to communicate. Verse 10, And when he came up out of the water, Euthius, straight away, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. Verse 12, And the Spirit, Euthius, straight away, drove him out into the wilderness. This is time and again when, when Mark is referring to Jesus moving forward in his ministry. The, the way being made straight, just as God had, had proclaimed and God had determined for him, God was commanding him that, that immediately, straight away, these things happen. And we've seen it all through the Gospel of Mark. So as we go back here to verse 14 and we realize that Jesus says, Behold, my, bet- my betrayer approaches. And straight away, God is accomplishing His purposes through the voice of the betrayer, through the presence of Judas coming to turn Jesus in. And then again, verse 45, And when He came, He went up to Him straight away and said, Rabbi, and kissed Him. The, the mocking betrayal of Judas, the, the traitor's kiss is part of God's straight way for Jesus. I don't like trials. I don't like opposition when when i face a, a wall in in my life i am quick to say well that must not be the way i should be going someplace else jesus lived out the reality that that often it is in that opposition in those walls that we face in those those uh, those persecutions in those, those places where we, where we lose face, where we run the risk of being attacked, maligned, rejected. Often that is still the straight way that God wants for us, that it's through those difficult times that His purposes are accomplished. Euthius, Straight away. So verse 43, And straight away, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, 
Mark has been identifying that again, making sure that there's no confusion, that this is some other Judas, that this is some other individual that is playing this role of betrayer. He wants all of us to know that this is one of the twelve. He used the same language when, when uh, uh, earlier on in the chapter, talking about uh, how Judas went out to, uh, to conspire with the, uh, with the chief priest, verse 10 of chapter 14. When Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. Jesus, Jesus prophesied his, his revelation that it would be one of the twelve that would betray him is being accomplished here in these, in these actions of, of Judas. And again, it can, be, it can be so disheartening. But often, some of the biggest Trials, the biggest oppositions that we face in our life come from those who are on the inside. Come from those who are closest to us. Come from a direction that we never would have expected. The, the rest of the twelve were completely taken aback. Even though Jesus had said one of them would, they still never connected the dots to recognize that it would be one of them, that Judas himself would be the one that would betray. And with him, representatives of the Sanhedrin. It says, with him, a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests, from the scribes, and from the elders. This is a way to describe the Sanhedrin, the, the, the authority of the day, the court system uh, those who were who were ruling in that in that time and in that place, that it is um, these very same, and again these very same who had studied the scriptures, who who knew the promises of the Messiah that was coming, who read the the prophecies of the suffering servant, who had seen. And heard with their own eyes Jesus' uh, uh, claim for deity. The one that they had affirmed when they saw and his, his miracles, those early miracles. These are the very same ones who came with clubs and swords. Refusing to recognize his authority. Verse 45, and when he came, he went up to him straight away and said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. It wasn't a, the Greek word that's used there wasn't just a little peck on the cheek. This was a, a, a lavish kiss. This uh, same, same word that is used to talk about uh, Mary, when she came to wash Jesus' feet and, and kissed his feet, it was a uh, it was a, a an emotional, a passionate. But don't be confused. This isn't a, 
a kiss of, of surrender, of worship. This is a passion of, of rejection. You know, you, you see the, the movies of the mobster that, that comes up and, and, and gives the, the person who's, who's about to be killed and gives him that big hard kiss and then throws him away. Same kind of idea that Judas is not here. Again, we sometimes get, get confused with the motives of Judas. And we don't really know the motives except to know that Jesus declared that his heart was far from being in the right place. It wasn't that he was being deceived. It wasn't that he was being manipulated by others. Uh, it wasn't, you know, I, I've even heard some people make the claim that, that, that he was uh, a zealot and he was thinking that by his betrayal that somehow he would be forcing Jesus' hand into, into becoming uh, or, or revealing himself as the king, that, that surely if Jesus was going to be hung on the cross and going through all that, that he would then have to establish his kingdom. And he thought that he was helping. I, I don't know that any of that is true. All I know is what from Jesus said, it would be better if he had never been born. His heart was totally in the wrong place. And, and, and this, this kiss of betrayal was a rejection of his Lord and his declaration of he would be in control. And so they seized him. And Mark points out that this was to fulfill prophets. Jesus said, verse 48, Jesus said, have you come out against me as a as a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching and you did not seize me, but all to let the Scriptures be fulfilled. What Scripture is Jesus referring to? I think there's probably lots that we could point to. But certainly Isaiah 53 verse 12 where the prophet Isaiah, through the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote, Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. By them coming out with swords and clubs, approaching Jesus as, as a robber. They are fulfilling that prophecy that, that Jesus was numbered amongst the transgressors, that, that, that this was prefiguring Jesus bearing the weight of all of the sin of all of the world upon himself. So in their, in their evil, in, in, their, in their cruelty, in their deceptiveness, once again, youthius, they make straight the way of God. They accomplish His purposes even though 
their purpose, their mind is in a completely different direction. And in all this chaos, a sword is drawn, an ear is cut off. This is one person's of how to respond. We, we know from some of the other Gospels that, that Peter is, is implicated in this, that he's the one that had brought the sword. He's the one that, that cut off the, the servant's ear. Uh, Mark is a little bit un- unique, though, in that he does not name the perpetrator of this. Which is a little bit strange because we know that that Mark got his information of all of this from Peter. And, and Peter hasn't been reticent to, uh, to implicate himself in many other f- fails, many other shortcomings that he had, whether it would be walking on the water and sinking, whether it would be in his, his bluster of, of, I would die for you. And, as we know, to come his ultimate denial of Christ. Peter is very, very open with his recognition of his own weaknesses, of his sins, of of the things that he did poorly during the ministry of Jesus. So, So why doesn't Mark identify him here? There's another unidentified individual that that plays a significant part in this passage, and it happens there in verse 51 and verse 52. A young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body, and they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. Who is this young man that is there in the garden with them? And again, it certainly is, there's been room for, for much speculation about this. I, I kind of like the idea that, uh, that this is actually Mark himself that, that, that joined the, the, the followers of Jesus late in Jesus' ministry. He wasn't there for the whole thing, but, but was there for this moment for, to be able to actually see uh, the arrest and the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. There is some tradition that says that, uh, that, that yes, this is Mark himself and, and, and had this insight. But, but again, I think that there is, uh, if, if that was something that Mark wanted to, to let us know that he was there, you, you might want to think that he would actually put his name in, in that somehow. Um, doesn't mean it's not. But, but I think that both of these being anonymous... It, fulfills a specific purpose for Mark as he's writing this for us. Because these could be anyone. This this response to persecution by by taking matters into your own hand and, and pulling out a sword and fighting for what you believe in could be any one of us. But it certainly is, every one of us, that when we face that persecution and flee, run the other way, that that we are stripped naked and our shame is revealed, right? Just like Adam and Eve, that that suddenly as as they took of the fruit, they realized that they were naked. 
And under the grace of God, He covered their sin, their shame. This applies to all of the disciples who fled. Their shame revealed. Who just a few short hours ago had made that, that, that passionate declaration, I would die for you. And here they all flee. Their eagle, their, their bluster, their, their own strength to be able to, to follow through with commitment stripped away and they're shown in all of their weakness, all of their shame, all of their frailty. It could be any one of us. And so Mark leaves them unnamed so that we can put ourselves in that place and recognize that apart from dependence on God, apart from walking in in the power of His Holy Spirit, that, that this would be any one of us. So the question comes to us. How will you respond? How do you respond to Christ in that place of opposition? In that place of trial? You've you've likely experienced some level of that already in your life. Perhaps there's been times when you have taken matters into your own hand to stand up and fight in your own strength. And and very poorly just cut off an ear rather than have any significant impact. Just have to go back again for a second. Isn't that weird that he cuts off an ear and that's it? Like nothing happens? (laughs) Nobody's offended. Nobody grabs him and and takes him off to to jail or anything. Like there's there's no mental, like there's no impact at all. I think that's what happens when we when we want to stand up for our own rights and fight. in our own strength, rather than following where God wants us, where God's straight way is for us. It has no impact. We, we clumsily just lop off an ear rather than having any kind of significant, significant outcome out of our violence, out of our, our determination. So will you be one of those that when you face opposition that, that you'll take matters into your own hand and, and go ahead of God before He calls you to any kind of, a, a, of an attack that you would go and pull out your sword and fight for your rights? Or are you, maybe you've you found yourself being in that place of fleeing like the young man. That even though you, you had all of the, the good intentions, the, 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 the heart to, to be passionate, to be able to make that stand in your own strength, to be able to say, I would never. 
And then in the moment, you flee naked, your shame revealed. Jesus gives us the example of what it means to walk in God's straight way. He doesn't fold in front of the opposition. He doesn't try and run away and, and, and get out of the way. He, he recognizes that this is God's straight way for him. And so he stands boldly. But he also recognizes that this isn't time for, for, for him to be that, uh, that conquering Messiah that, that we read about that's coming at the end of time in, in Revelation, that, uh, the one that comes riding in on the horse with sword drawn, ready to defeat the enemy. This was the time to stand and allow the suffering, to allow the opposition, to stand firm, but not to stand against. See, Jesus was listening to the Spirit. Jesus was, was following what God the Father was directing him. And he knew exactly what the response was that for this moment, for this time, in this place. And that's where we need to be. <laughs> Opposition is coming. We see it already in, in, in minor forms around us. I've read the end of the book. And, and God's straight way goes through that opposition. We will indeed suffer for our stance, for our faith in Christ. That the world around us will more and more be plugging their ears, calling for our blood. How will you respond? How will we as a body of believers stand firm with one another following God's straight way? Well, we need His help. We won't be able to do it on our own. If we try and do it on our own, it will have no impact. We'll clumsily cut off an ear. Or, or, or in the face of, of that opposition, we will flee our shame revealed. We need to follow Christ's example of, of facing that opposition in prayer and dependence on God, following His straight way, not the way that we want it to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank You for the example that You have left for us. Thank You that that we can have 
we can have confidence that your straight way will be made clear for us. That we will know what you are calling us to, what response you want us to have in the face of opposition that is coming our way. I, I know, I know that I will fail. So I, I keep my eyes focused on you because I know that you are the one who has begun my faith and you are the one who will perfect and complete my faith. So I look to you and I trust in your guidance and your leading life. Help us as a family here, God, to be able to encourage, to stand firm, shoulder to shoulder with one another, that when one suffers, uh, there are all the rest of us around to be able to hold them up. Lord, we can't do this on our own. We need each other. I pray that you would continue to, uh, to intertwine our hearts and our lives together. Lord, that, that, that we, would, we wouldn't let any fall that there wouldn't be any that would be left behind, but that each one that's here a part of this family would have a cohort of brothers and sisters around them that will hold them up, that will stand with them, that will encourage them through these days. And Lord, our prayer is that just as Christ's suffering brought the redemption of many, that our suffering would be a, a means that you would use to bring life into this community, to bring salvation to the hearts of those that are around us, that would bring redemption to our families, to our friends, to our loved ones. We give you all the praise and all the glory. Amen.